0: So, throughout the Torah and the entire Tanakh, the entire, that means the Torah itself is just the five books of Moses, and the rest of the scripture, the books of our prophets, is another eight books of our prophets, and another 11 books of writings, um, Nevi'im and Ketuvim, together make the Tanakh. We did a class previously, we spoke about the Tanakh. So, throughout the Torah and the entire Tanakh, there are thousands of words that are read differently than they are spelled in the Torah scroll or in the scroll of Tanakh. So we know the Torah scroll that we read from on Shabbat in the synagogue or on various other occasions um, is handwritten in a scroll. um, So the words are written differently than they are read in the scroll. Um, And the same is also in the books of Nevi'im and Ketuvim, the books of the writings and the prophets. While we don't generally have scrolls for them today, some communities do, but they were originally also written in scrolls, and the way they were written in the scroll was different than the way they were supposed to be read. In most instances, it's a one-letter difference from how it is written and how we actually read it. But sometimes it's more than a letter. In a handful of places, it's an entire word that is read differently than it is written. So one word is written, it says one thing, and you actually don't read the word that's written, you read a totally different word when reading the Torah. There are also places in Tanakh, although not in the Torah itself, in the Nevi'im and Ketuvim, there are places where there is an entire word missing from the text as written, but you're supposed to read that word even though it's missing in the text. And there is also places where there is a word in the text as written, but you are not supposed to read that word. You're supposed to skip that word. So there are what we call kri veloktiv, words that are read but not written, and words that are ktiv, velokri, written and not read. And then there are words that are written one way and you read a totally different word. And then the most common is words that are simply spelled differently than they would normally be spelled. So generally, now just with misspelling, to be clear, in Hebrew, in English, we have half of our language is doesn't read the way it's spelled. A big number of words, and that has to do with the, how English evolved, from various early languages, Latin and Germanic languages, and uh, so many, many words and how pronunciation evolved over the years. Um, it's true not just in English, but in French, where you have all those S's and all those other letters that you don't read in many other languages, Where the uh, but we know in English, right, you read though, it has a o u g h, right, and uh, there's many, many, many other words like that, um, the P in psychology, right, but many other words that are pronounced different than they're read. Um, So, but in Torah, in Tanakh, in generally in Hebrew, you read it exactly as it says. You always read the word exactly as it says. It is very, very rare in Hebrew to have words that are spelled one way and read differently. There are some words like that. Um, But... The, it's very, very rare. Um, one, exa- one classic example is the name Yisachar, which is one of the 12 tribes, is actually spelled with two sins, two S's, right? And so, in, and so you would normally be, if you would kind of read it as spelled, it would read as Yisachar. But we don't read it Yisachar, we read it Yisachar. So there are a handful of other words that are always kind of consistently, you know, that is the way you spell it. You don't spell it the way it's pronounced, but that's very, very rare in Hebrew, unlike in other languages. These are words that there is a proper way to spell them, but in the Torah, in the Tanakh, they tend to be misspelled. They're spelled differently. Sometimes the word is often, almost always, or even always spelled differently within Tanakh, although that's not the proper way to spell it in Hebrew. Um, Sometimes it is... um, Sometimes it's just once off that in this particular instance, it's spelled differently. So now, generally, if you would open a Chumash, in the Torah itself, it is spelled exactly the way it's supposed to be spelled, without any notes, without any additions. If you open the Chumash, which is the Chumash is the book of the Torah that we read from, so you buy it in book form, and that usually comes with um, vowels and with commentary <laughs> to be able to read it easily so over there what they usually do is they'll have the written version will be inside the text and then there would be there will be a corrected reading on the margin sometimes it's all the way on the margins on the side um, now what they'll do in most chumashim is they'll have the corrected reading in other words the way you're actually supposed to read it will be they'll have the written word without vowels in the same font as the rest of the Torah is written in the Chumash. And then they'll have the way to pronounce it in a little bit of a smaller font or a different font um, next to it with vowels and with the, word ne- with the word Kri. Read it like this. So you know that this is how you're supposed to read it. And as a result, because in the Chumashim, because in the books, um, they would always write it. Write The written version would be written in the Chumash with the... Red version, the way to read it, would be noted on the side. So often the written version is referred to as the um, Pnimi, the inner, inside version, because it was inside the text. And while the um, outside, the, the, the red version is referred to as the Chutz, as the outside version, because it was outside the text. It was generally written on the margin. So, But we have many, many of these words that are written differently than they are, than they are read. They're written one way, and they're read differently. Why is that? Or more importantly, which, one, which of these two versions is correct? What is the right way? What is the real word? What should it be? The way it is written, or the way it is read? So this is a question that has been asked by the earliest commentators on the Torah from the earliest times have grappled with this question. And there have been multiple different approaches to answer this question. There were some early scholars, including some very renowned early scholars and commentaries on Tanakh, um, that suggested that the two versions reflect differences in early manuscripts of the Torah. That there were early manuscripts in the Torah and at an early point they didn't know which one to do so they put one to, down as being read or, uh, and one down as being the way to write it. Um, others even suggested that other early Jewish scholars, notable scholars, suggested that may reflect edits on the Torah or Tanakh by various editors in the early days of Judaism. In other words, it was written a certain way, but they felt that it was not grammatically correct or didn't fit the context properly, and therefore they edited it. Um, so there's some early scholars, um, even some of the Geonim and some early Rishonim from early medieval times that have voiced that suggestion. Um, There's some problems with that because, um, (laughs) as we will see with both of those explanations, because, firstly, if it reflects edits to the Torah, and one argues that the the red version would then be more accurate, right, post-edit, than the written version. But if you actually check each place, not always is the red version more accurate grammatically or with the context than the written one. It doesn't always work that way. Um, and if there were various different versions, we actually will see that our sages often understood both and understood both to be correct. So the Talmud tells us, and this is uh, the Talmud says regarding a number of different places, specific places in Tanakh, that um, both the way these verses were written and the way they were read all go back to the original. In other words, the original author of the Torah, which is Moses, God dictated the original Torah to Moses and Moses wrote it down. It was originally God dictated it to Moses and said, this is what I want you to write, write this word, but when you read it and teach the people how to read it, you're going to read it differently. And the same is the later books of Tanakh that were written not by Moses, but by other figures throughout early Jewish history, the later books of our scriptures. Uh, Each one has their own author or authors. And uh, also over there, the authors wrote it down in a way where they wrote one word and then taught the people to read it differently. And that was the original intention. And the the Talmud says it's regarding a number of examples that it offers in the Darim. Um, However, the consensus among Jewish scholars, the general consensus is that based on the Talmud and based on um, the available evidence and tradition, that both versions, both the written version and the read version of the Torah, were both there in the original, both are correct, and both are valid. One is the correct way to write it, and one is the correct way to read it to the point that this is quoted in Shulchan Aruch, in the code of Jewish law, that when writing the Torah, you have to write it in the correct way that it is written. If one word or one letter in the Torah is mistaken, is wrong, then the whole Torah is not kosher. Every time you write a Torah scroll, the Torah must be edited. And we edit the Torah to make sure there are no mistakes in it. If one letter is wrong, then the Torah is not kosher. If you write a word in the Torah the way it's read, rather than the traditional way that it's written, the Torah is not kosher. That is the way you have to write it. The same thing is we read the Torah in the synagogue. When we read the Torah in the synagogue, you have to read every word correctly. If you've ever been in Shul, you've probably seen how the Torah reader once in a while makes a mistake and everyone jumps up and shouts because they've all got the book in front of them, right? It's a little unfair, right? They have the book with the vowels, right? So it's easy for them. So, and they jump up and they correct him uh, because they want to make sure he gets it right. If you read it the way it's written instead of the way you're supposed to read it, that's a mistake. Got to correct the reader and make sure that he reads it correctly. So, the consensus, although there were those that suggested otherwise, the consensus is that, and the halacha, the law is, that every type, place the Torah is written, that it has to be written in a certain way, the tradition is to be written a certain way, it must be written in that way, no exceptions. And the consensus also is that every time the Torah is read, in a, has to be read in a certain way, it must be read in that way, you read it differently, it is a mistake that must be corrected. So it's supposed to be written like that. It's supposed to be read like that. We also, the consensus, although there was some debate in earlier times, um, the consensus view is that the Torah was never edited in a, in a significant way, um, that, major, that no major discrepancies among various versions of the Torah ever arose, well, we do have some slight discrepancies from different communities, very, very slight, one letter in particular that has been debated over whether it should be an Aleph or a He in Deuteronomy um, that has been debated for hundreds of years, and there are Torahs both ways, but besides that letter, there really are no discrepancies in the Torah. The versions are very exact, and that's because we've always been very careful to write the Torah perfectly. So, um, so rather, we do believe that the different versions were the original, and that is the halacha, that when writing the Torah, you must write it in the proper way to write it. When reading the Torah, you must read it in the proper way to read it. Any questions? Yes, Steve? Yeah, I think it was 4th century or something, the, the Catholics got together and decided what was going to be in their Bible and so forth. Did that have any effect on Tanakh? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Jews were not, didn't really have access to the Latin Bible. And uh, academics may debate with, with, about this, um, in their views of how, you know, Judaism and Christianity developed. But um, uh, according to our traditions, um, Judaism was there for a very long time, long before Christianity came around. Christianity was kind of a shoot-off that came later. Jews did not, Jewish scholars were not centered around Christian lands, um, Jewish scholars probably did not even have access to the Latin Bible um, until the ninth tenth centuries. Mm-hmm. So no, they, they, it, it almost certainly did not have an impact. Um, there may have been some impact um, minor impact from Christian commentaries on Jewish commentary in medieval times, but if it was most of that impact was probably the other way. Jewish commentary <coughs> impacting Christians. <laughs> Wasn't the Latin translated from the Greek? I don't think they translated... Did they directly translate it from Hebrew? I think it was translated from both. I think the translators at a later point spoke Hebrew as well. But they preferred the Septuagint over the Jewish tradition, so they ended up with a lot of the Septuagint's mistakes. But that's... The Bible and Torah... We once did a class... That we titled is the Torah and the Bible the same thing, and we we, we spoke about these issues in detail, the mistranslations and the like, um, and that's that's on the podcast. So I suggest if you want to hear the rest, yeah, to go listen to it. Yes, Mark, or Debbie, sorry. Um, um, you said if it's not written or spoken correctly, it's not kosher, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I thought. Kosher is only related to food, but it can be related to other things. Kosher is just a Hebrew word for proper or correct. Oh, oh it's not food. No. I it, was it could be related to food, but very good. Kosher kasher means something that's correct. <laughs> oh, thank you. So to understand how we ended up with these two versions, the written version and the read version, it's important to recognize that there are two different but related traditions of the torah itself there is a written tradition and a red tradition the written tradition is the way the torah is written in the torah scroll so you open a torah scroll and it is written in a specific way. Now, the, this Torah scroll was copied from earlier Torah scrolls, which were copied from earlier Torah scrolls, copied all the way back, going back to Moses' Torah scroll. So that is the written tradition. Every scribe would copy and edit from earlier scrolls to make sure it was perfect. Now the written tradition has, no, uh, has words, right, letters and words. There are, it also has paragraphs the Torah split into paragraphs. There are no vowels in the Torah. There is no punctuation, so it's just run on paragraphs without any sentences, no commas, no punctuation whatsoever. No sentences. Then there is the red version, the way we read it. The way we read it, this is more of an oral tradition. It wasn't written down at first. For a very long time, it was not written down. Um, The oral tradition is the way that we read it. This was passed on orally from generation to generation. Now, it doesn't mean it had to be memorized because you had the book, but you had to know how to read it correctly. So it's memorization of the reading with a cliff notes that you could use the written word. But they weren't the same because the oral tradition includes vowels to properly pronounce the words. It also (laughs) includes a complex Punctuation system. And that punctuation system is the chant that we use when we sing the Torah, known in Hebrew as ta'amim, or probably better known by the Yiddish word trop. Um, but that punctuation, that is the chant that we use to sing the Torah, and that includes commas, and it includes phrase, phrasing, breaks for phrasing, and it includes sentences, sentence ends, right? Psukim, verses. And the end of the verse is not found in the written Torah itself. The end of each verse is only in the oral, read version, but not in the written word itself. Now, one thing that the oral tradition is missing is paragraphs. The Torah is broken down, the written Torah is broken into paragraphs. But the oral reading is, we, we break it into parshas, it's, it's a later thing we want to set a class on, the parshas. But the, re- the, the reading, we break it into verses, but we don't break it into paragraphs when we read it. There's no particular, we don't read it differently at the end of a paragraph. Um, so that's one thing that the written word has. So these two traditions complemented each other from the very beginning. We had the written Torah that was copied by the scribes, and the read Torah the way we read the Torah publicly or privately Ourselves. You have to memorize the way to read the Torah. Just opening the book, opening the scroll won't give you the way to read the Torah. You won't know the vowels, you won't know the punctuation, you won't know the sentence breaks. You need the oral teachings to teach you how to read the Torah, right? That's why the Torah, reading the Torah in the synagogue even today is hard. You gotta learn how to do it. You gotta know all the vowels, and you gotta know all the punctuation, you've got to know all the sentence breaks. So we had these two essentially traditions, a written tradition of the written Torah from the beginning and an oral tradition of how to read it. Now from the beginning, these two traditions had variances. In other words, there were certain words that were written a certain way, but we knew that's not how you read it. Don't read it as written, read it differently. Read it either a little bit differently than it's written or, sometimes, in at least two instances in the Torah itself, read an entirely different word than what is written. And in Tanakh, read an additional word, or don't read that word, we have those traditions. So the reading, and the um, the reading, the, the written tradition, and the read tradition were essentially two versions that were passed on separately. The um, one was passed on, the written was passed on by scribes transcribing from other Torahs and then editing. The red tradition from reading and teaching children to read the Torah, and they used to learn at a young age how to read the Torah that they knew how to read the whole Torah. And these two versions were passed on separately for about 2,000 years. And this lasted until the 700s, until so about 1300, 1,300 years ago. In the 700s, and this... To put things in context is about 400 years um, or 500 years after, the, after we first started writing down the oral tradition <coughs> we've spoken before, separate from the written word of the Torah itself, of the five books of Moses. There's also an oral Torah, an oral tradition, which was written down first in the Mishnah around the year 200. Um, so in the... Seven, and then later in the Talmud around the year 500. But in the 700s, there was a movement called Mesoratiyim, the Mesoratim, or probably best translates as traditionalists. These were people who we believe mostly lived in Syria and the land of Israel at the time, which was part of the um, Byzantine Empire, but not long after the Arab conquest of, um, sorry, which was part of, sorry, not, which was part of the um, Arab um, Caliphate. It had been part of the Byzantine Empire and now captured by the Arabs in the 700s. And these um, Mesaratim, they dedicated time and effort to transcribe the red tradition of the Torah. Around their time, a little bit before their time, until then, there had never been a system of vowels. There had never really been vowels to be able to know how to read the Torah. The Torah itself... We know that the Hebrew language is almost entirely consonants. There are no real vowels in the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. A word is read without vowels in the Hebrew alphabet. We know that, and so we today, when you open a Sidur or you open a Chumash, you have the vowels as these little lines or dots under the letter or on top of the letter that help us read Hebrew. But those vowels were not there originally. Moses didn't have those vowels. In fact, not only Moses didn't have those vowels, those vowels, the sages during the first temple and second temple, King David didn't have them, Ezra didn't have them, the sages of the Mishnah didn't have them, the sages of the Talmud didn't have them. It was only in the 5600s that those vowels were invented. It was only much later that the vowels, now the vowels to pronounce it, we knew how to pronounce it but we didn't actually have written ways of recording the vowels. We just knew that's how you pronounce it. This is the correct way of pronunciation, but there was no written way to record the vowels in Hebrew. And so, and people just read without vowels, um, as in modern Hebrew today. Almost all of modern Hebrew today is written without vowels, right? You just know that's how you pronounce the word, like all the words in English that don't read as they're written, and you just know that's how you pronounce the word "though" or the word "psychology." So, um, so, so here so they, so Hebrew, so they started vowels at this point, and so the Masoretim dedicated time to add vowels to write books. They didn't write in a scroll form, but wrote in book form, the first Chomashim, and wrote the books with vowels. And they also developed Ta'amim. They also, the Trap, the, um, the punctuation, that complex punctuation system, the way Jews always chanted the Torah, <laughs> which was also part of our ancient tradition going back to Moses. They came up with ways to record each particular um each particular sound or each particular um, tone. And, um, <coughs> and they essentially, they wrote down both the ta'amim, the particular tone and chant and how to sing it, as well as the vowels. And so these people wrote down essentially what the, what had, the red version, which for 2,000 years had been transferred orally, was now written down for the first time. And these books, there were dozens of these books written by various Masoratiyim, who also spent time making sure, researching, and making sure to get the exact cor- correct pronunciation. They were the first ones to bring together the written tradition and the red tradition of the Torah. And they were the first ones that had to, since they were putting in the red tradition, put in the words as written, and then had to write a note on the side, read it like this. So we actually believe these original works were very, very valuable at the time because they taught you these were the records of Judaism, how to pronounce the Torah properly. They were very, very valuable. A number of them have survived 1,300 years, believe it or not. Um, There is perhaps the most famous one is called the Aleppo Codex, which is one that was in the Aleppo synagogue um, until 1948 and was then smuggled out of Aleppo and now sits in the... um, in the um, and now sits in the um, Israel Museum in Jerusalem, um, in the shrine of the book. Um, it is, um, and another. there's another important one in St. Petersburg in the library. And there's actually a third one that we still have. These are the three almost complete versions. There's a third one that we have um, known as the Sassoon Codex because at one point it belonged to the Sassoon family. That is actually right now on um, on well it's going on auction um, you could google this, it's it's going on auction it was in all the news a couple of weeks ago it's um, going to be going on auction in the next couple of months, meanwhile they're pouring it around the world, I forget maybe Softbees, I forget who's auctioning it um, but it's they're expecting it to be the most expensive item ever auctioned um, yeah, it's They they, they're expecting they're pricing it in the hundreds of millions of dollars, um, because it's it's very very rare and something like this almost never goes on auction. Um, But anyway, it's it's going on it it is going on auction soon. So if you are interested, um, (laughs) yeah, let's just pull our change together. Yeah, it was in all the it was it was in all the papers a couple weeks ago when they first kind of announced it. And then they're gonna they're gonna be displaying it all over the world at various spots to try to gain build build interest to try to build the price for a while and I think auctions sometime next year, uh, but you could Google it the Sassoon Codex. So anyway, so these little off topic. So they wrote these. Um, so they wrote these khamashim and the books of Tanakh with veils, punctuation. So now we have the written record and the red tradition both together. And since then we've today printed Hamashim, which is basically the same idea, um, now in printed version. And we have in it the way it's written. And on the side it will say, this is the way it's supposed to be read. But they're two different traditions. So why did this happen? Why do we have these two traditions? Why did God give us a Torah where some words are written one way and read differently? So the truth is it really depends on the particular word. Each one really has its own story. And there have been books that have been written explaining the various, in Hebrew it's known as kri uktiv, read and written. Read one way, written differently. And there are various books that explain commentaries in general, tend to explain it. Often the Midrashim explain various Kri-Uktiv. The early Midrashim explain why things are read one way and written differently. Um, The various commentaries will often explain um, why. And there's books dedicated just to why it's read one way and written differently. I want to just cover a few classics. So... Perhaps the most common word that is read different is actually not really misspelled, but it's read different for a totally different reason. And that is Hashem's name. So the, in the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus, near the beginning when God speaks to Moses, He says, Zeshmi le'olam b'zhe v'ador This is my name um, forever. And this is my remembrance for all generations. Now that word leolam is spelled differently than it is written. It is spelled leolam, which means forever, but it is actually written without a vav. It is written lealen. It is written as if it would be as if it would be lealen. It is hidden. This is my name that to that is hidden. That is to be hidden. And so our sages say that this place where the Torah Writes the word differently than it is read is because the context is teaching us God is explaining his name to Moses. Moses wants to know what God's name is, and so God is explaining his name to Moses, and, um, and so God says, This is my name forever. But the, there's an additional interpretation that the Torah is alluding to in writing it differently. This is my name that is hidden. Never pronounce this name. So the name is spelled Yud. Hey, vav and hey. We don't pronounce it. Not only we don't pronounce it; we don't know how to pronounce it. We do all of God's name we once in a class on pronouncing God's names. We don't pronounce six of God's various names, um, and each one because we need to refer to it when studying, when talking about it, we have developed ways to mispronounce it. So we mispronounce this name as Havaya, um, but we don't pronounce it at all, and it was never pronounced, even in prayer. The only time it was pronounced historically was in the temple. When the Kohanim, when the priest did the priestly blessing in the temple, they would pronounce Hashem's name as is, as well as the high priest, when he did the special service on Yom Kippur, would pronounce Hashem's name as is. But other than that, Hashem's name was never pronounced, the name Havai, which is the primary name of Hashem, and the primary name used in the Torah. Rather, we always read it using a different name of Hashem. um, One of two names, both names that we're forbidden to pronounce. Most of the time, we pronounce the name of Hashem using the name that is spelled Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud. Or mispronounced as Adnai. I'm mispronouncing it because we're not allowed to pronounce it unless we're praying or reading the Torah. Um, and we're not right now doing neither so I'm mispronouncing it um, but we, rather than reading the name Havaya mispronounced right? Um, instead we read it most of the time with, uh, as the name that's mispronounced as Adnai um, but sometimes in a handful of places we mispronounce it with another of God's name the name Elohim the reason for that is the name Adnai refers to God as the ruler. It means uh, master or ruler of the world, of the universe. And so it refers to God as the ruler. Elokim refers to God's in judgment. And so, depending on the context, usually we mispronounce the Yudke Vavke, the Havaya, as nun yud or adnai. Sometimes we mispronounce it or we pronounce it differently as we, we instead read the name Elokim. And so that's one word that is always read differently than it is said, always whenever we read the Torah. When the Mesoratiyim when the first people who were coming to write the vowels in the Torah, recording the red tradition in writing, um, when they first came to do that, they had a question, how do you put vowels on the name, on God's name, that's written Yud, K, Yud and hey Vav and He, or HaVaya, do you put vowels on it, we don't even know the proper pronunciation. We could guess, but we don't know the proper pronunciation because we don't pronounce it. And our sages have kept that a secret, essentially, that only the Kohanim knew while the temple stood. Um, And today, the Kohanim don't know. Nobody knows how to properly pronounce it. So how do you put vowels on a word that you don't know how to pronounce? So what they actually did is they took the vowels of the name that I'm going to mispronounce as Adonai, and they took those vowels, the A, the patah, the O. Do, right? So the O sound, the cholem, And the Kamatz at the end, the um, Noi, right? The ois sound, right at the end. And they put the Patach, cholem Kamatz vowels on the on the Yud-Heh, and he. So, that, that, that's what... And then, when it's supposed to be pronounced read as Elokim, they put the vowels of Elokim. The segol that goes the E sound under E the O sound that goes on the lamad, the low, right? The O sound, the Cholam. And the Chirik that goes under the He, the E sound. So they put the E, O, the segol, O, the Cholam, and the Chirik on the Yud and He and Vav and He. So that way they showed you how to, and that way when you see the vowels, you know which of the two names you should pronounce. Now, some people, Christians and others, made the foolish mistake of seeing the way they, since it's normally pronounced as Alev, Dal, Nun, Yud, as Adnai, I'm mispronouncing it, that's the, way we, that's the name we usually pronounce it as. So that's the vowels that you usually find on the name Yudke, Vavke, the Patach, Cholam um, and Kamat. And so they decided that that is the correct vowelage for the yud Vavke, vav ke, for the yud hey and vav and hey, and that's how they often pronounce it, pronouncing God's name. But they just—that's where they got it from. It was—it's a mistake. There's, there's no that—that's where they get it from. They get it from that um, vowelage that the Masoretim put in to tell us how to which name we're supposed to use. But that's not the correct vowelage at all. Um, Regardless, this name, um, the name, whenever the name in the Torah is written, we don't read it it as written, but we read a different name of Hashem. So that's not misspelled in any way. That's just we're not allowed to read that. So we don't. Now, one of the most common changes, I would say even the vast majority of words that are written different than they're spelled, or almost all of them, have to do with the vowels so hebrew we know has 22 letters all of which are consonants with the exception of one letter the aleph which is a silent letter and essentially has whatever vowel you put on it o, a, U, o, The aleph will be whatever letter you put on it. It's a silent letter, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In Ashkenazic pronunciation, the ayin is also silent and essentially also has become a vowel that was not correct in the original. Um, It is not so in the Sephardic pronunciation. Um, And uh, we once did a class on Sephardic and Ashkenazic pronunciations, and we spoke about that more in detail. So... So in general, the letter, the 22 Hebrew letters are all consonants, which except for the Aleph or for us the Ayin as well, are silent letters that have the sound of the vowels. The vowels, we know, are expressed in the dots or lines that are under or on top of the letters. The Torah itself has no vowels in forms of dots. As we said, it's a fairly recent invention, invented in the last 1,500 years. Torah is 3,300 years old. So there is no vowels in the Torah itself. However, it's incorrect to say that there is no vowels in the Torah. There's no vowels in the sense of the dots and the lines. But actually, some of the Hebrew letters serve as consonants, but also double as vowels. So the aleph we said is always a vowel, essentially. It could be one of multiple vowels, it's silent, and it could be one of multiple vowels. However, there are three other letters that double can have a sound of their own, but also can be a vowel. And they are the hey, the yod, and the vav. How would you know if they're a vowel or a letter? The hey has the h sound, the vav has the v sound, and the yod has the y sound, right? The y sound. But they could also be vowels, and then they don't have that consonant sound. How do you know? Very simple. If they have a vowel on them, underneath them, on top of them, then they're a vowel themselves. Then they're a consonant. If they don't have a vowel on them or underneath them, then they serve as a vowel. So the hey will always serve as a vowel at the end of a word. If you want to have an ah oh sound, or ah in Sephardic pronunciation, sound at the end of a word, you would always put a he at the end to signify the ah oh or ah sound at the end of the word. So you put the he, and the he has no vowel on it, and that he is silent because it is the A or A vowel. Now, to make it easy for you, we also add the A and A vowel on the letter before it, make it on the constant before it. But the HE itself is that A or A vowel. The, um, the Vav, we know, sometimes serves as a Vav with the V sound. Sometimes, though, it is the O, the cholam sound. Sometimes the Vav is the U, the Shuruk sound. When it's a Cholam, what we do is we put a dot on top of it. When it's a Shuruk, we put a dot in the middle. But sometimes in the Torah, there's no dots. Sometimes it's a V, but sometimes it serves as a vowel. The Yud serves as an E sound. So sometimes the Yud has no vowel itself, but it's, the Yud it, it is not a consonant, not a Y consonant, but it serves as an E sound. And in English, we have that as well, that the Y sometimes serves as a vowel, right? As in words like sky, right, with a Y, or psychology, right, where the Y itself is not a consonant, but the Y itself serves as the I sound, right? Or in Hebrew it's the E sound. Um, So many, many times in the Torah, the vowel is missing. There's a missing vowel. And in fact, most of the times where it's spelled one way and written differently, it's simply a vowel missing. A he, a yud, or a vav that is missing. The vowel is missing. And therefore, it would normally be read differently. But all we do is, uh, but, and, but it's really just a vowel missing. Sometimes in the Torah, it's not a vowel missing, but it is a different vowel. A vav instead of a yud, or a yud instead of a vav is the most common, where the vowel is not mistake, not, not missing, but it's a different vowel than should be. So that is usually, and in the Torah when a vowel is missing, we actually have a term for that, it is called chaser. So the example I gave before, le olam, so le olam would be spelled lamed ayin, vav lamed mem the vav after the ayin is a vowel it's an o sound la olam right so it's an o sound on the ayin right so the vav serves as a vowel as the o vowel but that vav is not there so without the vav it's not la olam but it's la alam right because it wouldn't have the o sound on it and so le alem, which would mean too high so, um, just to look, let's just look at some common misspelled words, or words that are read different than they're spelled. I wrote misspelled because that's just the way I named the class. But they're not. It's as we've seen, it's not accurately accurate to use the term misspelled. They're not misspelled. They're spelled different than they're written. So there's a number of words that are written different than they're spelled every time they appear on, or almost every time they appear. One example is the word na'ara. Na'ara means girl or a young girl, which, except for one time, every time it is mentioned in the Torah, more than a dozen different times, it is always spelled without a he at the end. Remember, the he at the end of the word is a vowel. It's missing that he vowel at the end. So it's missing the a, na'ara, it's missing the a, the final vowel. Which means that it would be read without that vowel. Uh, it would. It's written as if it's read naar, naar, as opposed to naara. Naara means a young girl. Naar in Hebrew means a young boy. So it's written as young boy, but read as young, uh, but but read as young girl. Now the context in each of those places, the Torah is speaking about a young girl. For whatever particular law it is speaking about. Um, it is speaking about a young girl. However, it doesn't mention the young girl. The Abarbanel says um, that the um, Ravyitak Abarbanel explains that the reason is for this is it would be improper to refer to young girls in the Torah, and so therefore it refers to it as a na'ar, as a young boy, but it really in the context is clearly referring to a young girl. Um, another example is um, the word he. He in Hebrew means she. I know that could be a little confusing given the English word. But he in Hebrew means she. Now, he would be spelled, the normal way to spell he is he, yud, aleph. The aleph at the end is silent. The he, yud, he, the yud is a vowel, right? Is the e sound, right? It's basically a h. Uh, he with an E sound, he. So the, the way it's written, though, in the Torah is always he with a vav aleph. He vav aleph actually spells the word who. The vav over there is a vowel as well, and it would be the U sound. Um, so it would actually be, re- be, it's spelled as if it was written who. Now who in the Torah is he. Okay, so the Hebrew word he means she, the Hebrew word who means he. So the word for she in the Torah, he, is almost always misspelled and written with a vav vowel instead of a yud vowel, which would read as who, which means he, right? Again, the Abarbanel doesn't tell us why, but appears to be for the same reason, um, that in proper Hebrew, masculine um, verbs are used more than feminine, and therefore in proper Hebrew, um, they avoided using feminine pronouns, and therefore um, stuck with the masculine pronoun, though it was meant to be a feminine pro- pronoun. Why in What's the purpose of it? So in, in Hebrew in general, most languages that have Male and female. Most lang- most languages, besides English, um, all verbs could be in male form or female form. So when it's neither, right, in a neutral sense, is always masculine. The male is always neutral, in all languages. Right, when you're speaking about a group of men and women, right, you would speak in you would the neutral form is always masculine. Why is that? That's the way languages were created. That's the way all languages That's why work. Created them. <laughs> It could be men created them, or um, it could be that that's the, that's the default. Um, so that's why it's like that in Hebrew. Um, now, another classic word that is always misspelled, it's never, this word is actually never found in the Torah itself, but it's found many, many times in Tanakh, in the Nevi'im and Ktuvim, in the books of our prophets and the books of our writings, is the word Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, one of the most important cities, right? It was David, King David's capital. It's mentioned right in the book of Joshua, and then mentioned throughout Tanakh, many, 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 many times. And so the word Yerushalayim is always spelled without the final Yud, without the final Y sound. So although we pronounce it always Yerushalayim, it is spelled as if it was written Yerushalayim. Why is that so, commentaries suggest that Yerushalayim was the original name of the city. Yeru means fear, fear. It's like God-fearing. Shalayim means perfect, um, and um, city for God for uh, of fear of God, where God's presence is found, and of perfection. And so that's why its original name was Yerushalayim. Over time, it became known as Yerushalayim. However, already in early days of Judaism, it became known as Yerushalayim. However, the original name was kept in the written form, written as Yerushalayim. And that, by the way, explains why the Septuagint version, and from there, the English version of the city is Jerusalem, and not Jerusalem, because they're taking it from that written version. Um, In general, the writers of the Septuagint didn't use the k'tiv, the written versions of the Torah when translating over the, uh, over the Tanakh, rather over the, um, the pronounced versions. They may not have had access to the pronounced versions, at least the non-Jewish um, translators, and so um, they tended to choose the, um, writ- the written versions, and so the written version of Yerushalayim is written Yerushalayim, that's probably why they called it Yerushalayim in Latin, which became Jerusalem in English. And so what we can see is that there's a reason for each particular place where a word is written and read differently. And as we said, a number of books have been written to explain each and every time where the words are written one way and read differently. And often it's because there are two different meanings intended. In this week's parsha, and actually today's reading, if you read the Chumash for today found in the Chayeno booklets, you will see there is one example, the Torah speaking about the leaders of the twelve tribes. And it says, Eile Krue Haida. These are the designated or the ones who are the cold people of the congregation, the designated people of the congregation. However, while the word Kru'eh, after the Ru, the Ru sound, has a vowel, a Vav vowel, an U sound, right? Um, However, it's actually written not with a Vav, but with a different vowel, with a Yud. If you read it with a Yud, then rather than Kru'eh, it would read as Kree Kri'eh means the people who have been called. So it is written, the people who have been called. It is, writ- it is read as kru'e, which means the designated, the called people, or the designated people. Designated for what? Designated for the meetings, for, for, for important meetings, right? Because they're the leaders, right? And what makes you a leader? That you're the one that gets to go to the meetings, right? That's what makes you a leader. So um, why are both mentioned? So Rav Shamsun Rafal Hirsch, a 19th century commentary, says that, well, these were both. These were the people that were called right now to count the people, which is why the written version is used. Um, but these were also the designated leaders that are always called, that are always there at the meetings. So both are true. So therefore, the Torah, to allude to both, uses one in a written version, one in a um, red version. So um, and the same would be true um, in many many things. The um, we had one in last week's um, reading where the um, with the word um, uh, the word um, low is written. Low means no, right? And um, low can also mean his, right? And so here it is red, and at least from the context, <coughs> it means his. But in the Torah, it's spell, spelled Lamed Aleph, which is spelled to mean no. And it's talking about a city with, that has walls around it. And our sages say both are true. It's a city that, that there is a wall to it. And it's also a city that has no wall how it had a wall and now has no wall. And that's what the Torah is referring to. And to allude to both, it was written one way and is read in a different way. Another classic, one of the first times we find this in the Torah, is when Noah, after the flood, at the end of the flood, after a year in the ark, um, after a year in the ark, he's told by God to go out of the ark and take everyone out of the ark, his whole family, well, the animals all have to be taken out of the ark. So the word that we read is, Hashem tells Mo, uh, Noah, bring them out of the ark. Everything with you should be brought out of the ark. But if you actually read it, has a is Yud right? The yud over here is a consonant, right? Hayetzei, which means bring out. But if you actually see, instead of a yud, there's a vav there. The vav would be a vowel, and if we would read it, we would read it as "hotse." Hotse means be brought out. So instead of God telling Noah bring everyone out of the ark, it is written as if it said Noah, your whole family and all the animals, be brought out of the ark. Why? Because Noah didn't want to leave. Noah didn't want to go out of the ark. He's like, God, it's the, 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 he's scared. It's a new world, all destroyed. What am I going to go out to? There's nothing left. He didn't want to leave. And Hashem had to pull him out. Had to bring him out. So Hashem told him, bring everyone out. But they all had to be brought out. So it's written bring, but it actually is... Uh, sorry, it's read bring, say but it's actually written hotze, brought out. And there are many... Sorry? because while Hashem instructed him to bring everything out of the ark, he refused, and everything had to be brought out. So both interpretations, both readings, could be read into the story. So both are correct. So again, there are many, many other examples, the entire books written on it. Um, we don't have time to go, to, and to, to go through more, but um, you've got, you get the picture at least. Um, so while the written and read versions of the Torah and Tanakh are fascinating, it really shows us how exact every word and every letter of the Torah is. Really, is not only is it the oldest book to survive intact from ancient times, um, it has the Torah has survived um, in ways that almost no other book has survived. Um, as we said, we have these thirteen hundred year versions of the Torah, these keters, the one that's going. For sale now, uh, Steve found it already, I see. Um, the, they're going, going for sale now at Tzachbe's, um But there's these all ancient Torahs. But we have the same book, exactly the same as it once was, as it was 3,300 years ago. We've kept it exact with perfection. There's almost no discrepancies in words, in letters. Every word, every letter is exact. And it needs to be exact, because as we can see, every word and every letter in the Torah is there to teach us something. Even when it's written one way and read differently, both the written version and the read version are there to teach us something. Each one has a valid explanation that is meant to be read into the context of whatever you're reading and has something to teach us. And so therefore it's our role to study the Torah, learn it, try to understand not only the basic meaning but the meaning of each and every single word and each and every single letter.